0: Okay. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see all of you. Welcome. Merry Christmas. A lot of churches, this is sort of Christmas Sunday because they're not meeting next Sunday, but we're going to meet next Sunday. (laughs) I know a lot of you will be out of town. That's cool too, but no. Or die hard. No, just kidding. Um, great. Well, let's get into the word. Uh, this week, we are looking at joy as we sang about just a few minutes ago. Um, the first week of Advent, we looked at hope. Last week, we looked at peace. Today, we're looking at joy. And then next week on Christmas Day, we'll wrap it up with love. But today, we are pondering joy. Um, so, yeah, joy. What is joy? Is it is it just another word for happiness? Is it the Christian version of happiness? I've you know, you often hear happiness and joy sort of pitted against each other. Um like happiness is superficial, selfish, fleeting, and American. Like that's happiness and then joy is is deeper, it's others-focused, it's constant, and it's Christ-like, right? So we, we kind of pit them against each other. But we, we don't need to do that. Um, the Bible doesn't do that. You know, we don't have to parse the difference between happiness and joy. A lot of times, they're actually synonyms in the Bible. We'll see in the passages we're looking at today, we, we see them put right next to each other. Joy and gladness. Um, So the the key isn't to pursue joy instead of happiness. It's to find out if Jesus provides true and lasting joy and happiness versus any other version of happiness or joy out there. Some synonyms for joy are jubilation, delight, exultation, rejoicing. Joy definitely seems a lot like happiness. (laughs) and we read it last week in Luke chapter 2 and the angel said to them fear not for behold i bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of david a savior who is christ the lord so the questions are did this did that happen In Jesus, do we now have good news of great joy for all the people? And I want to be clear. I'm not preaching a sermon to you this morning saying that you should feel joyful. As Sarah mentioned earlier, we don't always feel joyful. Joy is an emotion. Jubilation, delight, those are emotional words. And we can't conjure those up. So if joy is an emotion, there's no way I can conjure it for you. Just like you can't conjure it for yourself. If you could, you probably wouldn't be here. Because you would have found the answer to life's problems. So, but the great thing is that feelings, we know from modern psychology, feelings are tied to how we think, and what we do which are things we can change which are things we can shift which are things we can work on and that's great news because because the real question before us isn't how can i feel joyful in jesus the real question is do we have reason to rejoice Do we have a reason in our, can we, is there a way that we can think that can lead us to rejoicing? And rejoicing is a word that is basically the verb form of joy in the Greek, to rejoice. And that is a verb, it's it's an action, just like Sarah said, to choose joy, that is to rejoice. And you can rejoice without feeling joyful. So, the question is Do we have reason to rejoice because of the coming of Jesus? And if the answer is yes, and I believe with all my heart that it is, then our next task is to rejoice. And the feelings of joy, they'll come and go, but they will follow. So, we're going to look at joy once again, just like we did the first week, through four lenses. We're going to look at it through longing, through promise, through fulfillment, and through worship. So let's explore that question this morning. In Jesus, do we now have good news of great joy that is for all the people? So we're going to start out in kind of a bummer spot, but, you know, we don't really get a longing for joy unless we go to the place where we don't have it. And that's Psalm 51. So go ahead and turn to Psalm 51, and we're going to read the first 12 verses. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you, behind you, um, that you can use. All right, Psalm 51, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read the intro to the psalm because it applies. It says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. We'll get to that in a minute. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you that we can cry out to you for joy, the joy of your salvation. Lord, I pray that your word would speak directly to our hearts, to our, like David says, our our inner being, our secret heart. Lord, teach us wisdom. Teach us truth, uh, as only your word can do. So we pray that it would do it mightily uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here we find David, the man after God's own heart, longing for joy. Why? Because he lost it. And it was his fault. This entire psalm, if you finish it out, it's his outcry of confession after doing something horrible. He slept with his friend's wife, and then he had his friend killed so he wouldn't get caught having impregnated his wife. And then he is eventually called out publicly by a prophet named Nathan. And then David, to his credit, does humble himself before God in confession. But he lost his joy. Not surprising, right? He did something absolutely horrendous. And, you know, sometimes we struggle maintaining joy, maintaining a spirit of of any kind of positivity in light of troubling circumstances or, or illness, but sometimes we screw up just bad enough that we sabotage our own joy. And isn't it humbling to realize that each of us is capable of completely ruining our lives with one bad choice? It's kind of scary, actually. And David did. And although God very clearly and very immediately forgives him, cleanses him, et cetera, his life is still ruined. His his family splits apart. He loses his kingdom. It it just all goes downhill from there, basically, until Jesus comes. But let's see how David handles this. You know, you would think based on what he did, he would just hang his head and just kind of say, God, like, Like, having the audacity to ask God for anything at this moment, but it's the opposite. You know, right away, straight out of the gate, in verse 1, David starts off with a request. Have mercy on me, O God. And then what does he do? He cites God's character. He says, I'm going to base all of my requests from verse 1 through 19, which are basically all requests, I'm going to base it on these two things. According to your steadfast love and according to your abundant mercy. He's a God of steadfast love and he's a God of abundant mercy. David takes that reality of God's character, of who he is, and he runs with it. And he just lets it all out he lets it all fly he uses every word for sin in the old testament transgressions iniquity sin he's just saying all of it please take it all and asking for every type of cleansing you can imagine you know cleanse me blot out wash me hide your face from my sin create in me a clean heart restore to me you know all of these words he's just he he's trying to reached the whole gamut of of requests to cleanse him because he knows he can't cleanse himself. You know, he knows he's in a rough spot. He knows he has blown it big time. But David seems to be aware that although his joy was self-sabotaged, it was never self-achieved. It was self-sabotaged, Yeah but it was never self-achieved. He did not create joy for himself. He did not save himself. And so he knows that. And he knows that true biblical joy is rooted not in our circumstances, not in what we can do to fix things, but in the character and the power of God. You know, notice David asks God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. In verse 12, he doesn't say, restore to me the joy of my salvation. No, it's the joy of your salvation. He puts it all on God. God, remind me that all my hopes and dreams and security and joy lies not in what I have done or haven't done, but in what you have done on my behalf, completely, utterly, solely, the salvation that you have wrought on my behalf. So like David, when when we are in a season, are in a day, are in a time where we've lost our joy, for whatever reason, we can pray, God, I cannot recreate the joy I once had with you. And I don't even deserve it. But based on who you are and what you've done, I ask for it back. I just want to be close to you. You know, the Bible says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. God can't help himself but draw near to a repentant sinner. And that's such good news. And that's our longing. And that's David's longing here. All right, so let's now look at the joy that God responds with in promise. No, he, he meets the longing with a promise. We're actually looking at the same four books that we looked at the first week. So let's flip on over to the book of Isaiah, this time in chapter 65. And once again, we're doing a lot of turning and, and looking, so keep your thumbs stretched out. All right, so we've looked at longing. Now we're going to look at promise, starting in verse 17 of Isaiah 65. Isaiah writes, and he's, he's speaking the words of God here. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. Notice how joy and gladness are just synonyms here. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. So here in Isaiah chapter 65, almost to the end of the book, we have a a telescoping forward. A look at what God is going to do, but has not yet done. A look forward to the future reality that God promises to his people. A new heaven and a new earth where there is no weeping, crying, or distress. That's good. I mean, that, that is basically what Christians mean when we talk about heaven. Heaven isn't some spirit domain that we disappear to in order to play harps with naked babies with wings. Heaven is the final and eternal dwelling place of God with people. That's heaven. Where is it going to be? It's going to be here. Because he's going to recreate heaven and earth. A new heaven and a new earth. To, its, to their final state of perfection and uh, peace or shalom. True flourishing. Where Jesus will reign on David's throne with justice and righteousness forever. And notice God promised joy Here. In verse 18, he says, But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. Who is doing the rejoicing here? You know, who is experiencing joy? What's interesting is, It's both God's people and God Himself. Did you notice that? He says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem. I will be glad in my people. You know, God doesn't just provide us with an atmosphere or a a realm of joy, He partakes in the joy Himself. You know, part of the promise of joy that God gives is this two way street. You know, that God doesn't just give us joyful, heavenly circumstances that we can exult in. You know, He promises to be in on the action. His joy is tied to our joy. Our joy is tied to His joy. Why is there even joy there in the first place? Because of that interconnected reality with God Himself. That is what brings the joy. We don't just get awesome, heavenly, flying Ferraris. We get God, and we get Him face to face. We get to know Him and to be known by Him in in not just the the shadow understanding of that that we have now, but in its perfection. That is what we have to look forward to. God is not just a, a smart designer, watchmaker who sets the watch of the world and walks away. No, he writes himself into the story. He loves human beings. He can't get enough of us. He he can't get enough of sharing life and love with people. Jesus God the Father and the Holy Spirit, they've been in existence forever in an eternal dance of triune love. But they couldn't help themselves. They wanted that love to overflow and so they made us. And since then, they haven't been able to get enough even though we're fallen, even though we rejected Him, even though we, we are broken, sinful people. He's just always been looking for a way to get close to us. And He's done it. You know, that's why he didn't just wash his hands of us back in Genesis 6 when, you know, he looked upon the earth and and it says, every intention of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. That was the state of humankind prior to the flood but he couldn't help himself he he kept a remnant he saved noah and his family because he wanted this relationship with human beings he just won't stop he loves us so much he set out to make a way to provide us with a new heart so that the thought every intention of the thoughts of our heart wouldn't just be only evil continually he places new hearts within us so he could continue to pursue His ultimate goal of dwelling with His people forever. As has been His goal since the start. So that's the promise. We've seen the longing. That was the promise. You know, God creating a joy-filled new heaven and new earth for His people to mutually enjoy and rejoice with Him. And of course, fast forward again 700 years Jesus brings this more deeply into focus as we see the beginning of the fulfillment of this promise. So longing, promise, next is fulfillment. Go ahead and turn 700 years to the book of John in the New Testament, chapter 15. Jesus sort of puts it on the nose here in verse 9 through 11. He says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Abide just means remain. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy... May be in you, and that your joy may be full or complete. There it is. And notice that, like David, Jesus ties this this remaining in him, this, this joy that he puts in us, he ties it to obedience. Just like David did. You know, do you want true joy? Become a disciple of Jesus. Do you want joy as a disciple of Jesus? Obey Jesus. Have you messed up like David and lost your joy? Then you can appeal to the character of God as revealed in Jesus and reckon yourself cleansed and renewed based on his steadfast love and abundant mercy. But a more radical notion here that Jesus speaks is that our joy is not just a state of being after having been saved from our sins. No. Our joy is a result of Jesus' own joy being in us. Filling our joy to completion. Our joy is fulfilled in another's. You know, sometimes... As modern Americans, when we're, you know, we're doing the thing. We're pursuit of happiness, right? That's like the thing we're supposed to do as Americans. And sometimes when we're doing that, we're we're curating happiness and joy for ourselves, trying to fine-tune our lives so that it gives us what we want. When we're pursuing happiness like we're supposed to as good Americans it can feel like we're building a house of cards. You know, we're, we're trying to do it. We're, we're putting it all together, hoping it, it leads us to good feelings and happiness. But it feels like any wind of circumstance can just blow it all away. And the sad thing is, that's true. If that's all we're doing, is trying to curate a life of happiness for ourselves. It's empty. It will not last. Anything could just blow it all away. So even when we feel like things are going well for us, you know, a lot of times, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, well, yeah, things are going pretty well, but I'm just, I don't know, waiting for that other shoe to drop, right? Do you guys even know where that expression comes from? It's really funny, actually. It's like nineteenth, 19th, nineteenth, 19th, early twentieth century New York City apartment life. Uh, that was a relatively new phenomenon, and you have neighbors living upstairs, and you can hear them at all hours. So you hear them get home from work, and then you hear <laughs> you hear them take off their shoes. One drops, and you're just like, I know the other one's coming. Where's that second shoe? Right waiting for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> and that's how a lot of us live. You know, we're, we're oh no, I'm feeling happy right now. Something bad's going to happen. <laughs> right? But when our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, we don't have to worry that the other shoe dropping, which sometimes it does, Will affect our ultimate joy. This joy is fulfilled in someone else. It's inherently relational. It's dependent on someone else who happens to have a more dependent joy than we do. And that blows your mind because Jesus spoke these words hours before he was brutally executed. What did Jesus have to be joyful about right here? In Hebrews, it says, he's talking to us. The author says, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So when Jesus was, Uh, Like in the book of Luke, when his face was set for Jerusalem, where he was going to be brutally crucified, he had, that wasn't the only thing he was looking at. You know, he was looking beyond that thing, which was going to suck, to a joy. To the joy that was set before him. What was that? Jesus knew that. That brutal execution would redeem for himself a bride. And that would include you if you believe in him. That was the joy set before him on the other side of excruciating, which is where we get the word excruciating from crucifixion, suffering. And Jesus promises to be with us always, he says in Matthew 28, even to the end of the age, which is including now. We are not yet at the end of the age. So now we can live lives of worship to him until that day comes, come what may. So our joy is dependent on Jesus' joy. So longing, promise, fulfillment, and then worship. Finally, go ahead and turn over to 1 Peter again. We were there a couple weeks ago. It's toward the end of your Bibles. Just a few books back from the end. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. Starting in verse 12, we'll just read a couple verses. You know, Peter is writing to a scattered people. Uh, Christians across the, the modern empire at the time. And he writes in verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So joy can be found anywhere because Jesus is with us in all our circumstances. Joy can be found anywhere because Jesus is with us in all our circumstances. It's the indestructible nature of a joy like this that has enabled centuries of Christians since Christ to endure unthinkable suffering and yet find joy in the midst. It's be, you know, is it because suffering is is so awesome, and we should all go out and like try and find ways to suffer. No, suffering's no fun. It's because suffering is now a way that we can commune with what Jesus went through on our behalf. It's because suffering is not a waste of time or a waste of energy, suffering is producing something in us that is of indescribable value even if we can't see it in the midst of what we're going through. And our joy as Christians, it's so interesting. Just a, a few minutes ago, we talked about how we can sabotage it. Right? We can lose it. We can, we can just toss it away like that. And yet, it is also indestructible. It, it's in. Entirely impossible for anything or anybody to destroy it. Right? So we have those two things. What keeps us in in the middle? What keeps us from tossing it away, but also from feeling like it's going to be affected by external circumstances? Staying close to Jesus. And not just in a, yeah, yeah, kumbaya sense. I'm talking about obedience. Doing what Jesus says. And the beautiful thing is, the things he says, the things he commands, the, the things he's, he encourages and, and cultivates in us are life-giving. It's for that reason that Paul can... Command in Philippians chapter 4 he says rejoice in the Lord always and then he repeats it as if that wasn't hard enough and he says again I will say rejoice there's no room for for getting out of it we're supposed to rejoice as Christians how why well Paul says it next he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And then he says, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Emmanuel. God with us. The Lord is at hand. You see a theme here? It's the nearness, the presence of the closeness that God wants to have with each of us all the time. All the time. That is the entire source and backdrop of our joy as Christians. And sure, we can zap ourselves of our joy. We do it almost every day. But it was never drummed up from within us anyways. We can always appeal to the work of Christ and ask for that joy back, the joy of his salvation that he accomplished on our behalf. No person, circumstance, trial, or any other thing could steal that joy away. So, did we answer our question? In Jesus, do we now have good news of great joy that is for all the people Do we always have a reason to rejoice? The verb form of joy. Do we always have that? 2,000 years ago, a real human baby boy was born in a small town in Israel. He became a refugee at age two. Because the king was killing every kid under the age of two. He fled with his family to Egypt. His whole life he was poor. He was homeless. And yet he lived his entire life completely free of sin, completely honoring to God, completely obedient to his father. Then he died a murderer's death on a Roman cross. Then three days later, Her eyewitness testimony, he was resurrected from the dead, appeared to hundreds of his followers, gave them marching orders, which have led to us. And then he ascended to heaven and disappeared, leaving his Holy Spirit. But he didn't just do all this. He wasn't just a person in history who did some pretty awesome stuff. He did it all for us. He did it all for you. He did it all to substitute for you for a reason. So that, in order that, his joy could be in you. And your joy could be full. Do you want that joy? You know, perhaps you think you've sabotaged your chance at joy and happiness. Remember how David and he did something that just is off the charts. Evil. Wicked. You remember how he went straight to God's character in his pleas. He's a God of steadfast love. Loyal love. And abundant mercy. Mercy that just keeps on going. That means God just can't help himself. If a sinner will admit that they are just that, a sinner, he can't help himself but to lavish love on that sinner. That's his nature. And not only that, but make that sinner a saint. Cleansed, chosen, cultivated, celebrated. That's the God who wants a joyous, Joy filled relationship with you. And if you don't have that today, it's available. It doesn't take much. All it takes is an acknowledging of your need for it, your desire for it, your recognition that you don't deserve it. And it's yours. And for the rest of us, when we're in our our if Paul says to rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice, and we are in this place where we want to feel it always, there's gonna be a, a gap, right? We're not gonna feel it always. We're not, but can we rejoice always? Well, we have a reason. We can can change our thinking and say, in this moment, do, do I have a reason to rejoice? Do I? And and then if I do rejoice, if I just choose to rejoice, Lord, I'm gonna rejoice in you. You know, that's that's an action we can take. Our feelings are gonna follow, or they're gonna not. They're feelings. If we live for our feelings, That's like building a house of cards. But if we live for something more real, then those feelings will actually follow. Sometimes, (laughs) but not always. But we always have a reason. Amen. Thank God that we have a reason to rejoice. If you want that joy and you've never had it, let's pray together. I'm going to give you a chance to do that with me in just a minute. But for the rest of us, uh, who know Jesus, who who want more of his joy in us, right? Who want our joy to be complete because his joy is in us. Let's just reflect and respond in thanksgiving that we have that reason to rejoice. And it's because he came 2,000 years ago as an innocent, uh, vulnerable human baby in a stable, just in the put away, not in pomp and glory and circumstance, but in in the shadows. Let's pray. Your Father, thank you so much that you're the kind of a God that even when we totally fall on our face, we can appeal to you and say, have mercy on me, oh God, because you have abundant mercy, and you are a God of steadfast love. That you're willing to forgive, you're willing to cleanse, you're willing to pick us up on our feet, to send us along, and to be with us every step of the way. And if you are here this morning and you want to either for the first time entrust your life to Jesus, you know, he says, you can either build your house on the sand Or you can build your house on a rock. Which is going to stand after a rainfall, after a storm, after a hurricane? The one built on the sand or the one built on the rock? If we're trying to achieve happiness in life, there's actually a better place to go than our own American dream. It's to pursue the indwelling of Jesus' joy because of what he's done for us. And when he ascended to the Father, he left us someone else to be with us, the Holy Spirit that he sent to be with us, to remind us of how much we are loved, cherished, remembered, seen. So if that's you this morning, you want to pray with me for that for the first time, or if you want to, in this moment in time, prior to Christmas, it's just time if you've been distant from God for a time, if, if you want to rededicate yourself to following Jesus, it's a daily thing. So if you want to sort of put yourself back on that path uh, or more, more so have God drag you back on that path and to help you do that, um, feel free to join us in prayer as well. Uh, but if that is you, in either, in either case, go ahead and pray with me um, right now. You can say, Jesus, I want your joy in me. I confess that I am a sinner. Someone who does wrong and is wrong so often. I am in need of a Savior to cleanse me from my sin and a Lord to lead me in the right direction. Thank you for living, dying, and resurrecting for me. I accept your sacrifice on my behalf. Please write me in your book of life and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to learn your word that I might obey you. And help me to learn to pray that I might depend on you. I submit my life to you today. And every day. Amen. Your Father, I pray for these who have prayed uh, this morning. I thank you, Lord, for the chance to, to just re recalibrate our lives according to your goodness. And we just give you the rest of our time of worship this morning. May it be blessed. And may Christmas uh, come and fill our hearts with joy, not because we got something awesome, but because, well, because we do have something awesome already. And we give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.